Father, thank you that you anoint Pastor Louis as he shares tonight. I pray that you will open your word to him even more, and as he preaches to us, that we'll receive what he has to say to us from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yo, yo, everybody. I'm tired, so you're just going to have to bear with me. It's great to be with you this evening. I'm a little tired because I got to spend some time with the young adult leaders at their camp yesterday, and that was great fun. Yeah, thank you. One, somebody else enjoyed it, so it was awesome. So some of these young adult leaders are actually on their last, like, fumes. They're quite tired, I think. Ewan's like, he's not even here, man. He's just, like, in body, but... It was great to be with them, and um, we're so excited about just the things that, that they were planning through and praying about and considering and uh, spending some time also talking about our Hatfield story. What is our Hatfield story, and particularly in this space and in terms of the young adults also, what is the Hatfield story in the young adults, and how do we want to see that unfold? And So, as they say, watch the space. Um, in this, over this term, we've been busy with the theme that you've all engaged with also, uh, called a body of heroes, and you'll see the the slide there behind me. And the idea of this series is really to try and talk about how each of us has such an important role to play, and we each part of the body of Christ. And for the body of Christ to do its work, it's not about one or two or three people that actually are the superstars that do the work, but it's about every person being the hero that they have to be in the spaces where God's called them to be and in their, in their different lives and how to manifest the work of God. How many of you know that the gospel will not have the impact in our city that it can have and should have if just a few people are living the truth of the gospel? I can do the best I can, or a few of you can do the best we can, but we will not have the impact until we're all stepping into that which God has called for us, so, uh, for us to do. And, and that's been the heart of what we've been uh, looking at. And uh, the way we've done that is we've looked at some of the lesser known characters of the New Testament, and we've been just studying some of these lives that made up this amazing story that happened in the New Testament that we've re read of and re so recorded. And, and so often when we read the story of the New Testament, we just focus on a couple of characters. You know, the John the Peters, the Pauls, the Jesuses, you know, those kinds of people. We, we, yeah, there was more than one, actually. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, we, we, we sort of look at those characters and we think that's the story of the New Testament. But when you, when you pay a little bit more attention, you recognize there's a whole lot of people that all made up this amazing story and how the gospel impacted their world in their time and how everybody had a contribution to make. And so we've, we've looked at certain people and tonight we're going to just do the same and uh, look at a person's life that uh, is only mentioned, there's only two verses in the New Testament that she's mentioned, um, but she had quite an amazing contribution that she made to the New Testament story and it's, in, it's her story that we're going to look at. But to try and just give us an introduction into the point. Um, how many of you have ever lived in a space or place where you still had a mailman come to your house and deliver the mail to you? How many of you have ever known that and experienced that? I can remember that growing up in our area, we had a mailman. Now, I think most of us now get our mail at like some box that you go and you got a key and you open it if we still get mail. If you still get mail. Most of us get our mail in an inbox in our computer. But uh, there were days that, you know, every week, that's the only way you got your communication, is some guy on a bicycle would come down the street, and they would stop at every house and put your mail, it normally was in a nice little rubber band, they've sorted it out, and they'd put it in your, in your mailbox. And that's how you received the mail. 
And I can remember as a child sometimes waiting for the mailman. Nothing better to do. So uh, you're sort of, you know, standing in the front yard and you're waiting for the mailman to come. It's going to be so exciting. Not that I was ever going to get any letters. It's like five years old. What am I going to get? You know, but you could hope. And uh, so they would bring these letters every day. And I could remember so many times, you know, take the letters in the home. And then my dad or my mom, they would open them up. And I could always watch their response as they opened their, their letters and to see which ones were the ones that they liked receiving. But most of it, they had a frown on their face. And it was normally those letters, we used to call them, sorry for the Afrikaans, fensterkiebrief. You know what a fensterkiebrief is? It's those little envelopes with the window and, and, and your name typed in there. And you knew that was an account. So, you know, they'd always have a frown when they get those. So sometimes, you know, you, you, you could imagine a situation where here comes the postman down the street and he's got the envelopes and he puts it in the, in the mailbox or perhaps my dad's busy outside watering the garden. So he sees the mailman and he greets him and they talk for a little bit and the mailman gives him the letters and, and off goes the mailman on to the next house. And then my dad would take the mail and, you know, then he'd open up the mail and, and look at it and suddenly get this real frown on his face like, oh no. And then you just know that this is not great news. And the next minute, he throws the letter down, runs down the street, jump on the postman and beat him up. And say, how dare you bring me such a bad news and such a bad message? Do you think that would ever happen? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Because you don't shoot the messenger. Am I right? He's not responsible for your account that you got. He's just the guy delivering the message. He's just the go-between. At the post office... The letters all arrived, they got sorted, he was given a stack for the area that he serves, and he just brought the message to you. He's got nothing to do with the message. So don't shoot the messenger. Is it the same when we think of the gospel message? You are a gospel messenger. Anybody want to own up to that and say, amen, okay, I'm a gospel messenger? If you are a child of God, whether you signed a form or not, you actually are part of God's postal service. You have been given a task to deliver a message. But the gospel message is a little bit different than any other kind of, like the mail. Because you are not just a postman delivering a message that's got nothing to do with you. In the gospel, in the spreading of the message of the gospel, the messenger is part of the message. Think of that for a moment. The messenger is part of the message. And this is the story we that we learn from this lady's life. And I'd like to take us to um, Romans 16. Now, the book of Romans is a really important portion of Scripture. It's probably the most detailed theological book that we have in the New Testament. All of them contain things, but so much is put in the book of Romans and Paul writes, and it's a very important part of the New Testament. This book, obviously written to the people, the church living in Rome and, and in that area, Paul writes this letter uh, while he's in Corinth, and uh, at, at the end of his letter, the last chapter, he does what he so often did in many of his epistles. He would end with greetings. And he would greet the local church to whom he was sending the letter. And he would mention some people that he met on a previous occasion or elsewhere. And he would want, the, in their letter, he would want them to have a personal message given to them. But in Romans 16, he does something quite unusual. 
he doesn't only send greetings to people in Rome, but he talks about the person who's actually carrying the letter to the Romans. And that's what we read in Romans 16, verse 1 to 2. And in verse 1 to 2, he says the following, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Anybody here named Phoebe? Any Phoebes among us? It's okay. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chensrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now in the day, they didn't have a regular postal service or the internet, obviously. So when messages was, had to be delivered, unless you were a government official that needed government messages to be sent, there wasn't an infrastructure available for your messages. The government had messaging services where they would have riders or people with carts or whatever that would carry official messages between towns and cities and you know the governor would write his mail and put it in there or whoever and so mail would travel. But private people didn't have access to that infrastructure. So if private people wanted to send messages to their family or you know, even in the church when they wanted to send messages to each other, they had to organize it themselves. So something they often did was to accommodate for this is they used the regular travel of the people. So if somebody said, I'm going to Rome, they would say to that person, listen, why, won't you, while you're going there, please you know, just take a couple of letters with you. And generally, that's a lot of how their messages would be passed around. Now, if you've ever traveled, it's one of the things that is the worst, is when you're flying off somewhere and people just say, listen, will you please pick up a parcel from my auntie in the UK and bring it back to me? And then you're like, no, I'm not the postal service. I don't want to do that. It's just inconvenient. So this is just my ad. Don't ask me to do that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But so in that day, this is, this is how they got messages around. And um, so the church, when they wanted to send messages and Paul's letters had to go from wherever he was to the churches that he was writing them, he would often look for people that could carry his letter to the church and sometimes just, you know, sort of piggyback on somebody already going. But, you, but carrying a New Testament letter from Paul, now we've come to know them as New Testament letters, obviously in that time they weren't understood to be that, but Paul's letters, carrying them was quite a big deal. Because you weren't just carrying a document. The expectation for the letter carrier wasn't just, here's a document, take the document. Sealed, you don't read it, you don't know anything about it. Off you go, you go to Rome, and eventually you get there and you just give it to somebody and job's done. That's not how it worked in that day. Because the letter that Paul wrote, and you can think of Romans, how many chapters? 16 chapters, lots of words. Quite intricate, quite complicated. It required a messenger that not only delivered the message, but that could be the first person that could actually help the, the recipients understand this letter. So generally what happened with these people that were carrying letters in the church like this, is they would be present when the author is writing the letter. They would actually be part of the compilation of this letter. And as the author, so in this case, while Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, Phoebe would have spent some time with him, where he would write and explain to her what he's saying, 
Why is he saying these certain things? And he would, he would make sure that she would not only understand what he was writing to some level, but also understand the mood he's writing it in. So that when she then took the letter, she would then take it and walk or go by ship probably. It would have taken about eight weeks to walk to, to Rome from where she was. By, by boat, it was about two weeks. So she took the letter. Let's say she took it over two weeks. She got there. They would gather the community of people, the church and the churches and the people. Then she, they would sit them down and then she would proceed to read the letter to them. But she would have to read it in a way that was almost a little bit of a production. Not just like a politician speech, but it actually, you know, read the letter in a way that the recipients could hear the tone and the mood of the author. So that she would read it, and if there was a section in some of Paul's letters, he's actually, you know, getting a little bit angry with the people and he wants to correct them, then, you know, the, 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 then she would have to read the letter with a stern face and with a stern voice and communicate that he's not happy. When he was sending love, and then she would have to do it in that way. So that, that all became part of the, the, the letter carrier's responsibility. So they were very much part of this whole thing. And then what happened is they would read the letter, and then they would receive questions from the people. The people would say, now, excuse me, I can remember you read that, and um, what did he mean when he said that? And because she was with him when he wrote the letter, she would have enough knowledge to answer some of the basic questions about the letter. So she would actually be what is called the first interpreter of the letter. And then the, the church would take it and they would get scribes and they'd actually copy the letter off as quickly as they can to give it to, to as many people as they could. But this first reading of the letter was of great importance because it set the tone. When everybody else read the letter, they would refer back to how she read the letter. And she be, therefore became part of the message. It wasn't just a postman delivering the message. I don't care. It's got nothing to do with me. She was part of this message. She was chosen for a reason. And it's important that we understand that reason. And I want to tell you three reasons from this portion of Scripture why she was particularly chosen by Paul to deliver this message. And why not just anybody. The first reason we find is the fact that Paul commended her. Now the word commend means that he he held her in a high regard. He said that she is somebody that you can listen to. She is somebody that has standing. She is somebody that he says, I trust. I commend her. And uh, we read this in, in the first verse there. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. I commend her to you. Now, if Paul was just sending her to deliver a letter, and that's all she had to do, just drop the letter, cheers, see you later, have some red cold drink, and off she goes. If that's all she had to do, he wouldn't say this. But he says, because of this whole participation she has in the letter, he says, I commend her to you as a sister. She's a fellow believer, so receive her in that manner. When she shares this letter with you, when she tells you what I'm meaning and what I'm saying and try and helps you to understand what I'm communicating, you can trust her. You can receive her. She's a believer, but also 
I commend her to you. So in other words, she wasn't speaking on her own behalf. She was trying to mirror what Paul said. She wasn't giving them Phoebe's message. She was giving them Paul's message. Her job was to do the best she could to use Paul's words, to use Paul's tone, to use Paul's mood so that they could understand his heart and his intent towards them. So he says, I commend her to you. You and I are messengers. And just in the same way, we are not called by God to just deliver a message and to say, here you go, there's the message, nothing to do with me. We are part of this message. We become a very vital part in how the message is actually conveyed. Have you ever thought about it like this? That our gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a religious text and as a religious message, is quite unique for many different reasons. First of all, we are given the words of Christ, our God and our Savior, when He came and walked among us on earth. You see, if the gospel was just a message that you had to read and understand and get, then it could have had a different delivery system. The delivery system could have been, you know, Jesus comes sort of and He hovers about 100 meters off the ground. He goes, He's God, He's holy, He doesn't want to get dirty, He doesn't want to get mixed up in our business, He just has to deliver a message. And perhaps He would preach this amazing sermon and, and tell us who the, what the love of God is and who God is and, and tell us all the wonderful secrets of the kingdom and just, you know, but sort of just hovering around here and just make sure and say, guys, are you writing this down so that you can give it to the next generation? And when we would refer back to, remember the day Jesus came and he, and he preached the message and we wrote it down and wow, how awesome is this message? Is that how the gospel came to us? No. Jesus came and we talk about his incarnation. He became one of us. He dwelt among us. He lived here in the dirt, in the brokenness, in the sin, in the shame. He lived among us. And He became the message. He became the message. He was the message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the message. It's not just what He says, it's who He is that we have to receive. So right there in the life of Jesus, we see that the message and the messenger is intertwined. They, they, they like become one. It's also interesting, another way that our gospel or our religious text is quite unique is that the, the one about whom it speaks, Jesus, didn't write any of it. We have one record of Jesus writing. How many of you can remember a time when Jesus wrote? When did He write? When they brought him there, the prostitute. It's the one time he wrote. When they brought him, thank you, Luana. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, when they, I, I didn't remember, actually. I just knew it was one, so you helped me out. So they brought her, the, the lady to him. They, you know that story? And he bent down into the sand and he wrote. So we know he could write. But yet he didn't write. He didn't write the gospel. He didn't write the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, he had absolutely nothing to do with what they wrote, actually. He didn't tell them what to write. There, the gospel writings that we have is first-hand testimony, witness accounts of the life of the messenger. 
and what he did and who he was. And others wrote this down, wrote these stories down. And we receive this message now. So now we have a book, the Bible. And it contains our message. But do you know that you cannot take the Bible and give it to somebody and say, there, you've got the message. It's got nothing to do with me. But that you are actually part of this message. The method through whom the message comes is very important also. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures to sort of back up my point. In Luke 10 verse 16, Jesus says to his disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. So now he's sending the disciples out, the 72. He's sending them out and he says, go and spread the message of who I am around this area. And he says to them, as you go, anyone that accepts your message also accepts me. So when you tell them the words about who I am, if they receive those words, they will receive me. But then he carries on and he says, anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. Not rejects your words, but rejects you. They are also rejecting me. Because you and the words, you are one. You are the carrier and you are the message. Anyone who rejects me is rejects God who sent me. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3. Paul writes to the Corinthians these well-known words. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He says, our letter, this message, is not written on paper anymore. It's written on people. It's written on you. You are the message. It is a very important part of the message of God is that it comes in form of broken people. Because what is God's message? Part of the message is He loves us. He forgives us. He restores us. He returns us back to the original plan that He had for us. So He takes that amazing message and He lets me, a broken person, carry that message so that it becomes everybody that sees it goes, okay. I understand something, not just because of the message, but the method the message comes to me is also important. It's also important. We are living letters. If you think about it in old-fashioned terms, you have a stamp on you, and God is sending you. He's sending you out, and He says, go and be my message. Or you, will, you are hanging around somebody's inbox at the moment. Right there, in bold, unread, ready to be opened up, to be read by somebody. Do you know that there are people in this world that have never read the Bible, quite a lot of them, that have never heard a sermon about Jesus, but some of them have made a Christian. Their whole reference point about what it means to be a child of God is that person that they've met. Let's say it's you. Let's say there's somebody that has, that has no knowledge and understanding of Christianity. They've never read the Bible. They've not go to church. They don't have, but they've met you. 
So when somebody says, talks about Christianity, whether they hear something on the news or they read somewhere something about a Christian, guess what is their definition of a Christian? You. You are their definition because you are the living letter that they have read. If you treated them with love and kindness, and, and if, you, if you were a person of integrity, then perhaps they would say, well, my, my idea is a Christian that is, is, has these characteristics. If you're unkind or, or, or you cheated them, then they would say, I don't know, Christians aren't so great because that's my experience of a Christian. Because in our reality, you cannot just tell people, Jesus loves you. You've got to love them. That's the way they know Jesus loves you. And it is a huge challenge. Throughout the ages, it's been a huge challenge. That people find it hard to receive the message. Because so often the messenger messes up the message. Because we are the message. You see, what Phoebe had to do in her day was made sure that the people understood the author's intent. Now, when you do in theology and if you do uh, translations of the Scripture, that's a big deal. You've got to know what the author's intent was that wrote this portion of Scripture. Because if, you, if we say Paul wrote something, we think it means this, then we could go off and be wrong. But if we can establish what he intended to say, then we know what the author's intent was. And that was part of Phoebe's job. As the messenger, she had to convey the intent of the author. Now, in the same way, your job is to convey the author's intent. Who is the author of life? God. You carry that message of His love. And so, what is His intent? What does He want people to know? What does He want people to experience? And you and I become the living letters that tell people what you've experienced is not what God intended. It wasn't the author's intent. Don't blame him for that. That was not his intent. This is God's intent. But we are intertwined with that. So Paul commended her. You and I need to be people that can be commended. That somebody can say, I commend Gideon to you. I commend him. What Paul literally meant when he said that is he said, if you, if you hear Phoebe speaking, you'll hear my words. I commend her to you. If I have to send somebody, so often in the church we get invitations and you know, they want me to go to something. I can't go to everything that, they, that I get invited to. And so I've, I ask some of the other guys and some of the ladies, will you please go to a meeting on my behalf? So if I had to ask Gideon or Kewen or any of you to go on my behalf to a meeting, their job is to go and represent me. One of the pastors, Pastor Jan, had the other day to go to the Twani Church Leaders Forum meeting I couldn't go to, and I sent him. So I, said, I phoned him before the time. I said, Jan, thank you for going to the meeting. Please remember, you've got to say what you think I would say, not what you want to say. You, and don't, don't volunteer me for any work that they want me to do. Think you represent me. You've got to speak my words. And that's what Paul said. I commend her to you. Can I commend you to somebody else? And say, listen to her. Listen to him. Because you will see something of who God is in them. Because they are the messenger. The second thing Paul says about her is important for us to note. 
that she was not only a person he could commend, but that he was a pers- she was a person he could trust because her trust has been, uh, trustworthiness has been tested. In, a, in that verse also he says, a deacon of the church, in that word, I probably mispronounced it, so I'm going to stop trying to pronounce it. A deacon of the church. This, this town was about eight miles outside of Corinth. And at some point the church was planted in that town. And Phoebe became one of the members of that church. And now here in this letter, Paul says she's a deacon of that church. For a, the word deacon is the word tra- from the Greek diakonos, and it's the word we get, which often translated servant or minister. And it is true of every believer. If you're a child of God here tonight, I can say of all of you that you are deacons. You are servants of God. Amen. Are you a deacon? Are you a deacon? Okay. We are all deacons. But do you know that in the church, there are also positions that are filled by deacons? And that's a little different. We are all servants, but we are not all entrusted within the church's functioning with certain tasks and jobs. So for long, they they struggled in, in interpretation. Was Paul saying that this Phoebe was a deacon in the general sense that we are all deacons? Or was he saying she had an office? And by office, I don't mean a, you know, four by three room with a door and a window and a plant. And by office, I mean that she held a position where she was expected to do a certain task for the church. Which, which, which office, which deacon is he talking about? But the fact that he says she's a deacon in the church, and he mentions the specific church, and the way the language is constructed, I think we've all come to agree now that he was actually saying she had the office of a deacon in that church. She had a responsibility. A deacon sometimes has the responsibility, like in the New Testament. Deacons, one of the responsibilities of a deacon was to make sure that when there were needy people that needed food, that everybody got given food. So even in our church here, we help people. We have a thing called food parcels that we help people with. But there's a system so that we make sure that we give the food to the right people, that the right people get help, that we're not being cheated because we're responsible for God's money. Not This is not our money. This is the money you give. We have to be responsible for it. So in our church, there are people that we don't call them deacons, but they fulfill the deacon function. It's part of their job to make sure that the food gets to the right people, that keep people get looked after, all of those things. Do you understand? She was one of those types of people. She had a leadership role understood within her local church. It was also the common practice of the New Testament writers that whenever they sent letters around, they would use deacons in the church to do that. So here, this lady, she has an office in the church. She's a person that has proven she can be trusted, that has fulfilled some level of requirement. Now, all of us aren't office bearers within the church, but we're still all messengers. And I think the point here that Paul makes for us and that I try and learn from us is to say, am I a trustworthy person? God needs to trust me as a messenger to be the message. Am I trustworthy? What makes me trustworthy? What makes me a trustworthy person? 
I think what makes us a trustworthy person, there's a lot of different things, and I don't have time to talk about all of them. Otherwise, all of you will fall asleep, not just some of you. But what makes us a trustworthy person is the fact that we are known within our community. And he talks about that she's part of a community. He mentions this specifically. He says, I'm not just sending to you anybody, just a person I got off the street, somebody I met the other day. I think she's great. Ooh, you know, just he's saying to you, you can check her credentials. There's her local church. That's where she comes from. You can check. She's trusted in that community. And therefore, I've had interaction with her. Paul says, I know that she's, she's actually who she says she is, so you can trust her. You can trust her. I think it's so important that if you want to be a messenger of the gospel, that you're actually plugged in somewhere. That you actually are known by people. I know there's many people that say, oh, you know, I can be the gospel messenger for the Lord Jesus, and I don't have to go to a local church. I don't have to be part of any group. I don't have to be accountable to anybody. Nobody has, you know, I'm a free agent for the Lord. That's great. But if nobody's checking up whether your message is still on point, then we're running a bit of a risk. I mean, you wouldn't take a guy to come and talk to you about your medical aid but he doesn't actually work with your medical aid. He's got no knowledge of your medical aid. He's just, hey, or your retirement plan or your whatever. Like, he looks like a nice guy or she dresses nice. Let's just receive all the information. I don't actually know much, but hey, I'm a free agent. That's why church life is so important. Because when we're together, there's something that is built into us. Of not just the head knowledge of the message, but the experience of the message. So that when we go, we carry the intent, the heart of the message. Not just the, I've read the manual. I quickly studied the manual. I don't really know what I'm talking about. So if they ask me three questions, they're going to discover I don't have a clue. But I've studied the manual. No. We've actually lived this. And we go and be messengers. Robert Munger said, A prepared messenger is more important than a prepared message. A prepared messenger is more important than a prepared message. The last one that he says about her is he says, For she has been a benefactor of many people, including, or the benefactor of many people, including me. So he says, Not only do I commend her, not only do I trust her, but I have seen her service to the church. She's not in this for the glory. She's a servant. And she's lived this in the time, and I don't I wanted really want to go into it, but there was a, a, a big system of patronage alive in that time in the world. What patronage meant was that, they, you know, because they were the upper class and then there was everybody else. And if you wanted to do business or if you wanted to get access to you know, people, you needed somebody to open the door for you, metaphorically speaking. You needed somebody to introduce you to the right people. You needed somebody to help you and to represent you. And this is what she did. And it is believed that the town where she lived is right on the coast. 
It's the ent- one of the ports of entry that you went to if you wanted to come into that part of the world. And that many times Christian people, as they were traveled, wanted to go into Corinth or go to, from there into other places, would land at this port. And when they landed there, then the officials, the, you know, the, the local government officials would come as you get off the boat. And they would say, now, where's your papers? Who are you? Why are you traveling? And many of the Christian people got in trouble because they were just the not known in the area. And because of the, just the systems of the day. Now, Phoebe was a wealthy lady. She had a business. She was well established in her community. She was a trustworthy person, not only in the church, but in the community at large. So what she would then do is she would act as a patron. She would go down to the docks and they've like, you know, holding you and questioning you. And then she would come and say, listen, oh, sorry, sorry. I know that person. They're part of our church in that area. And you can see the letters that they're carrying with them. And I vouch for them. You can, you can trust them. They, they were not here to make trouble. And then they would let the person in. On her word. And then seemingly what she often did is when, when she found people like that, she would take them to her home and let them stay there for a day and two, made sure they had everything they need and send them off on their travel safely. And perhaps with a letter from her to say in the area, I am so-and-so and I vouch for this person. And so she was a patron to people. And to Paul even himself enjoyed her hospitality. She was a servant at heart. And isn't being a servant... Such a big part of the message that we carry. Isn't our message this, that Jesus came? Although He was God, He became a servant. He came and served us. He came and took on our sins and our pain and our struggles. And in many ways, like that night with the disciples... When He washed their feet. In many ways He came. He didn't come to be our Lord in the sense of being like a king that's harsh and unkind and rules over us and you know, gets us to toe the line. He came and served us and loved us. So if you're going to be the gospel messenger, what tone must you have? Must you try and lord it over everybody or must you serve people? Because you can read the right Bible verses to somebody but do it in a way that is not the right message. And then you confuse everybody. That's why even Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not sending you into the world to rule and to lord it over the people, but to serve them. And so she, in this way, Paul was saying, she's consistent with the message. You can test her. She lives the message. She was a servant. Now, I'd like you to think as I'm coming to an end. I'd like you to think about this. Tomorrow this time, where will you be? Just think, what's the time now? Okay, let's not, let's perhaps 7.30 in the evening. Let's think tomorrow, let's pick another time. 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Where are you going to be? How many, sleeping, that's nice. <laughs> Praise God for that, enjoy it. How many of you is going to be in class? How many of you will be in class tomorrow 11 o'clock? How many of you will be at work tomorrow 11 o'clock? How many of you will be drinking coffee with somebody at 11 o'clock? I hope so. Okay. You'll be doing something at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'd like you to think of yourself in that picture right now. Think of yourself. Here I am in class, working, driving, whatever. 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Whatever you're doing, 11 o'clock tomorrow morning that you can think of now, you are doing as a messenger of God. In that moment, you'll be a messenger. You are not just in class. 
you are a messenger. You may be the very definition for people around you of what it means, who God is and what it means to serve Him. That's you. And you cannot escape it. You don't even have to try and be a messenger. You are a messenger. If you've attached to yourself this name, that I'm a follower of Christ, from that point on, you're a messenger. If anybody knows it, you're a messenger. Even if they don't know it, at some point if they find it out, they'll think back and they'll say, hmm. So I may not have known, but you've always been the messenger. We are the messengers. And like Phoebe, we don't just carry a letter. We live that message. Now, I'm not perfect. This scares the living daylights out of me. Because as a living letter, I can tell you so many times where I've messed it up, where I've given people the wrong message, where I've not revealed the author's intent to anybody. They didn't get the right message through me. They didn't get to know God better. They probably got the wrong idea of who God is. But I can also tell you there's times where I did get it right. There's times where somebody got to know who the Lord was. There's times where I've had the opportunity to pray with somebody, to reveal to somebody something more of who God is. So I'm not saying I've got to be perfect, because if God wanted perfect messengers, sorry, He wouldn't have chosen us. Jesus wouldn't have said, it's better for you that I go, but I will give you the Holy Spirit, and He will guide you, and He will show you. Because part of the message is that it comes through imperfect people. That's a big part of this message that we carry. There's just, I must recognize that. But it's my job to try, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because I can't do it, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to live the author's intent. And that the gap between me and the message gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So that we can be good messengers. You are a messenger. If you fail, if you mess it up, put up your hand and say, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. I didn't do a good job. I mixed up the message. Instead of speaking on behalf of, I spoke on behalf of myself instead of behalf of the author. Or, I'm, or whatever. And even in that, you're part of the message. But we cannot escape this. This is not a heavy that God puts on us. This is the Holy Spirit that comes. Now some of us sitting in this room tonight have experienced it where somebody got it wrong and hurt you and offended you. and I got it wrong. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I know there's people that I've offended. And it's my job, the Scripture says, woe through him who offends comes. I don't take that lightly. I, I do everything I can to go and correct that. When I become aware of it, to go to say to somebody, I'm so sorry I misrepresented the message to you. Please, God is so much better than what I am. And that's where the Spirit comes in. He fills in the blanks. He, he covers. But it's got to be my desire to say, I want to be a good messenger. I want to be a great messenger, Lord. You are a messenger that carry this amazing message. But we can only do it by the power of the Spirit. Can we stand together this evening? I hope you understand my words and what I've been trying to communicate to you. I'm not putting any judgment on you 
or I don't want to put pressure or heavy or anything like that on you. But I also want us to know the reality, the truth. And I'm thankful, aren't we so thankful for Phoebe that did her job well? Just mention, just these two verses. She did her job well. And because she did her job well, today, 2,000 years later, we are still reading the letter that she carried. What an amazing thing. Can we be those same people? That at least in our generation, people can say, I'm so thankful for the letter that you carried, for the letter that you are. Let's just, just be quiet before the Lord for a moment. Lord, what an amazing thought that Jesus, you did all this trouble to come to earth, to take on the form of a man, to die on a cross, to raise, be raised on the third day, to ascend to heaven, to go through all this amazing stuff. And then you take that amazing message and you trust it into our hands and you give it to us. And we are your only delivery system to get that message out. Us. Lord, that is like mind-blowing. Just to think that. I am your chosen messenger. I, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that. I certainly don't deserve that honor and that responsibility. I'm not worthy of it, Lord. But yet, that's what you decided. And you sent each one of us, Lord, into our friendship group, into our classroom, into our workspace, into our families. You send us, Lord, every day. Each one of us. Lord, we need you. We can't do this, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. This is not possible for us to do. But in you, Lord, becomes possible. Help us, Lord, to live lives that brings across the right message to our generation. That our lives would match up with this message, Lord. That we'll not speak one thing and live another thing. That we not misrepresent you. But that we would so be filled with you, Lord, that it just comes bubbling out of us. This is the message of who God is. Not a complicated message, just the message of who our God is and how much he loves us. Come, Holy Spirit. Perhaps you recognize tonight that there's times in your life where you really want to bring the right message across, but you just stumble over yourself. Just be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. It may be that you're here tonight and you've stumbled over somebody else. Somebody else did a bad job as you perceived it from your perspective. And perhaps tonight is an opportunity where you need to say, Lord, I forgive that person. Or I forgive those people. I forgive that church. I forgive that leader. I forgive that parent. But I want to receive the message, Lord. And I want to carry this message. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.
Are you living your life with God's intent? Because if you do, it makes all the difference in what you post on Facebook or not your generation on Instagram. It makes all the difference to how you speak, what language you use, how you treat people. It makes all the difference. Because whenever you open your mouth, you're not speaking on your behalf, you're speaking on behalf of the Savior of the universe. How you drive is part of the message. How you spend your money is part of the message. Everything we do is part of this message. Now, it's not my place to tell you how to do those things. But it's your responsibility to have that intent and to say, Lord, help me, instruct me in your ways. Because our world, can I tell you, is desperate for a clear message, for a truthful message, for a right message. They are sick and tired of a confused message, of a hypocritical message, of a message that is inconsistent. They don't want that. But if they can find a truth, a genuine message, they're open to that. And Lord, I pray for us here in our space in Hatfield. Let us be like Phoebe, Lord. Let that anointing of the messenger be upon us, we pray. We want to pray for you this evening. If you're in any need of prayer for anything, come and receive the love of God. Because the only way you can give it is to receive it. If we can pray for you, if you need healing this evening, let us pray with you. If you need just some ministry, if you just need somebody to just be a touch point for you to say, I just want to know that God loves me and just want somebody to reaffirm that, Let's, we, we're going to pray for you. I'm going to hand over to Gideon and he's just going to facilitate, but allow the Lord to just be with you this evening and, and so that you can be that who God has called you to be. Thank you, Gideon.